today we're going to be in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. And if you don't have a Bible, it should be on your screen. Um, But it says, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose." which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fulfillment of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Justin. Well, good morning, Riverside. It's good to see you, at least to see, as Justin said, half your faces. Uh, And for those of you in YouTube land, uh, we're glad to be seen. We wish we could see you as well, we under, and we understand that we're kind of in this season of bittersweetness, where it's sweet that we can gather in a limited fashion, but the bitterness is we can't gather all together, and many of us can't be here. And so we miss you, um, you who are watching, and um, we long for the day we can all be together, and that some of the social distancing measures can be loosened and we can actually hug each other and shake hands and um, enjoy that fellowship that we have. Well, if you don't know me, if we haven't met, my name is James Walden, and I'm one of the elders here at Riverside Community Church, and I'm part of the Gills Creek small group. And it's my privilege to sort of introduce this series uh, that we're sort of taking a break between our series in the Gospel of Mark and our series that will begin in a few weeks in the book of Amos. We'll be looking at the prophet Amos. We're taking a kind of four-week break as we look at some of what we might call our distinctive values as a church. And I know if you're like me, whenever you hear someone say, we're going to talk about our distinctive values, you kind of, your eyes glaze over. But uh, uh, hopefully what we'll see is that these are rooted in the Word of God. These are biblical values um, that we think are absolutely central to our mission and our identity as the people of God. And we sort of have four distinctive values we'll talk about, but under three headings. It does, the math doesn't quite work out. But the first is gospel centrality. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. The gospel is central to all that we are and all that we do. And we'll be really exploring that this morning in depth. Secondly, we'll look at how that gospel shapes us as a community to be a gospel community. And we'll look at that under kind of two headings of of on the one hand, we are a people on mission together, committed to one another as a covenanted family, that we're covenant together. And that becomes all the more pressing and all the more important at a time like this, where we have differing opinions and differing views uh, on whatever's going on in the world, whether that's politics or dealing with COVID-19. And so even as we, as we uh, 
uh, give this opportunity to, for some to gather. Many can't, feel, can't gather or don't feel free to gather. And so we are called to bear with one another like we looked at in Romans 14 and, and to be patient and love one another uh, during this time. And then we will look thirdly under the, the rubric of gospel mission, that we are on a gospel mission as the people of God. Uh, we are a people with a mission, and we will look at our kingdom focus. We are not to be Riverside-centric as Riversiders, but kingdom-centric, and that we are looking to offer one another and our needy neighbors and friends and enemies even. We are looking to offer them what we've called uh, as the elders active rest, that we're to give real rest to our souls, not a rest that is inactive and passive, but a rest that is active and engaged, but nevertheless restful. So that's where we're going to be in the next four weeks. And as we usually do, I want to begin our time as we look at gospel centrality uh, with our kids. I'd like to address our children. And so if you're with us this morning here in the sanctuary or here there at home in the living room, I'd like to just get your attention for a moment. I don't know if, if, you, if you kids have ever had a babysitter. Raise your hand if you ever had someone come and babysit. You ever had a babysitter come over and watch while mom and dad were gone? Now, sometimes, I don't know if you've had good experiences or bad experiences with babysitters. I had the full spectrum, okay? So a bad babysitter is, is like the one on the screen that you see the little girl, she's just bored out of her mind, and the babysitter's doing what? on her phone, not engaged, not interested. And so often we can feel that way as kids that when there's an adult that's supposed to care for us and be present, isn't present. Maybe they're there in in person in their bodies, but they're not present. They're not attentive to us. They're not paying attention to us. They're not caring for us. And, and, and they might, as we cry out because we're hungry or we're tired, they might address our needs, but it's more, you get the sense to kind of just keep us quiet <laughs> than to really love us and attend to us. Now contrast that with a good babysitter. A good babysitter is attentive and plays with us, wants to be with us. They're not just there because they want to do a job, they're there because they care for us. I remember uh, for a number of years, because both of my parents worked, we had a nanny who kind of would come for the day. She didn't live with us. Uh, it wasn't like Mary Poppins. But we, her name was Nancy, and she was really sweet. And Nancy would share with us her hobbies, her pets. In fact, uh, she loved animals, and she had a pet parakeet. And I was so enthralled with her stories about her parakeet, I got a parakeet. Her parakeet's name was Jade. Guess what I named my parakeet? Jake. (laughs) I just was so untaken with her. And she would play with us. She would help us in our imaginary worlds think out what we were imagining. And so she was wonderfully engaged. And, And I want you to know that in this world, God is like that good babysitter. God is attentive to us. He delights to be with us. He's near to us. He's always available to us just as a really good babysitter is. But of course, he's not our babysitter. He's our father. He doesn't go home at the end of the day. After all, this is his house, this world of ours. And he is our father, our creator, and he's very good. In Christ, he's really good to us. And listen, he has a really good plan 
for the whole household, including you. This, this old house that we call the world is being refurbished. It's really going to be completely rebuilt, better than before. And all the sad things in our life and in our world will become untrue. And for those who become to the children of God by trusting in Jesus, His own Son, we will get to share in that joy. All our sad things will become untrue. All of our bad things will be reworked for good. And even right now, we can enjoy our Father's perfect love, looking forward to a perfect future, having a perfect hope. But too many of us, as kids and as adults, live this life as though the babysitter is bad, or maybe not even there, as though we are all alone in this sad world. And so Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would have the eyes of their heart open to see the goodness of their Father and the goodness of His plan for them so that their hearts can sing. Would you pray with me that God would open the eyes of our hearts? Heavenly Father, we come to You because we need Your illumination. We need Your light to disperse our darkness. We need Your grace to open closed ears and closed eyes that we might see and hear and believe and know and rejoice. Lord, would You do that now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, there's very different ways in which people look at the world. I want to just address two basic ways that we engage reality as human beings in this broken world. The ancient view of the world is that there were many wills that were conflicting, many gods, a pantheon of forces that were competing that the world itself was the result of this clash of titans. That it was the world was a, wasn't the creation of one God, but it was rather a kind of committee effort filled with compromises and incompleteness as the result of these conflicting wills battling out uh, a will to power. How different is the picture of Genesis 1? When God creates the world in Genesis 1, there are no competing forces. If the ocean or the sea could be seen as a threat, it's like a puppy dog in his lap. He, 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 he hovers over the face of the deep and orders it precisely as he wants. And what does he say after every great creative event he engages in? He evaluates it and says, this is good. It's exactly the way I wanted it. One will forge the world, not a multiplicity of conflicting wills. It wasn't a task by committee. How different from the ancient world. Well, if you go to the modern world view, it's, it's, it's very different from either the biblical or the ancient view in many ways. If the ancient view saw the world as filled with a multiplicity of wills conflicting with one another, the modern world sees the world as will-less. The only wills are us. 
that the universe is fundamentally impersonal. There is no purpose. There is no will. Listen to what Richard Dawkins, the atheist biologist, writes about the universe. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. And we all dance to its music. There is a good, pithy, summary of the modern view of an impersonal universe. That though we long, we long for there to be will and purpose, it's just our desperate projections. That's why we created gods. We wanted the universe to have a will, but it doesn't. And we willed creatures look at this universe and find ourselves alone. We find ourselves strangers in the universe. How different is the biblical picture? How different is the universe Paul paints for us here in Ephesians chapter 1? We see that this space is filled with a will. In fact, it is determined by a will. Look at verse 5, for instance, in your Bibles. In love, He predestined us, preordained us, predetermined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ according to to the purpose or the good pleasure of His will. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose or His good pleasure. Verse 11, in Him we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose or the counsel of Him who works all things according, or sorry, the purpose according to, uh, to the, the counsel of His will. The universe is deeply personal. When you push through the chaos and you get down, as Dawkins called it, at bottom, the universe is personal. It is determined by one Will. Now, there are many wills in this universe. The pagan world didn't get it totally wrong. There were many wills, conflicting wills in this universe. I remember a friend of mine once went to a conference in our denomination, and they had a, they had a meeting where they made, they made a decision that was a poor decision regarding divorced people in the mission field. And my friend was there with someone else who had been divorced, and he was so upset by the committee's decision, which... Thankfully, they reversed later. He was so upset, he said, I, I can't believe Satan won the day today. And my friend said, what makes you think it was the devil? He said, because that wasn't the will of God. And my friend responded, okay, but there are more wills in the universe than two. There's more than God and the devil, right? It's not that simple. The world is filled with wills, and they're not all either God or the devil. But there's only one will that is determinative of everything. 
And that's what Paul says is behind everything in the universe is one will, the will of God, the will that determines all things, verse 11, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In verse 9, we read the mystery of His will. Behind the universe isn't a mechanism. It is a mysterious will. But it isn't mysterious because we don't know it. It's mysterious because we now do know it. This word mystery is one of Paul's favorite terms to describe the gospel. He variously uh, describes it as the mystery of Christ or the mystery of the gospel or the mystery of God. And it is this. It has been kept secret for ages, has not been revealed to the sons of men until now. Now it has been revealed. That's what he says in verse 11, or sorry, in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery. We now know it. And what is this mystery of the will behind all things in our world? Guys, it's amazing. It's verse 10. The plan, the administration, the household plan is the word in Greek. The plan for God's household for the fullness of time. That is to say, for the time of His redemption to be possessed by us, when we take full possession of our inheritance, to unite all things in heaven and earth in Jesus. Or as Paul puts it elsewhere, to reconcile all things in heaven and earth in Jesus. This is the purpose behind all things in our world, behind all things in our universe. Guys, this is the mystery of the meaning of life. What does life mean? It means this. God is at work in the world to reconcile all things in heaven and earth. It is cosmic in scope in Jesus. This is what it's all about. This is what God is doing in the world. When you push down through the chaos, the pain, the hurt, that's in our world. If you go down to the bottom, what you'll find is one will, and that will is good. Tremendously good. It is restoring all things, healing all things, blessing all things. This is why Christians can never be pessimists. This is why no matter how broken the world, we look at it and we still rejoice in the will behind the world, working all things for this glorious purpose. This is why we persevere to do good. This is why we keep sharing the gospel. Even when we're rejected and we're laughed at and when we're denied and when we're, 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 we're called hateful things, we continue to persevere in love. Because we know that this is the end of the cosmos. We know we are on the right side of history. This is where it's all going. It's all going for the reconciliation of all things in heaven and earth. And so your efforts, whether your efforts are to share the gospel with the loved ones in your family, your efforts toward racial reconciliation, your efforts toward loving your enemies, are not in vain even when they spit in your face. Because Christ must win. 
All things must be reconciled, and they will be. And so you act in truth. You act in accord with the flow of history. You act according to destiny. Don't give up. Your fight is not in vain. Your work is not in vain. And it's more than just cosmic, guys. It's personal. It's more than just God has a really great purpose for the universe. I'm not sure about me, but he's got a really great purpose for all other things. It gets very personal here when he says in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose us. And then it says in verse 5, he predestined us. In love, we were predestined. We were predestined to be loved in, as he describes Jesus, I love this in verse 6, in the beloved, in the loved one, the supremely loved one, the Son. In Him you were chosen. In Him you were predestined. You were chosen in love, predestined in love, in order to be loved forever. God has set His love upon you. I love how Paul puts it here in verse 11. He says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined. That obtained inheritance is a word that only appears once in the New Testament. It's a strange word that kind of means the casting of lots. What it means is this. The lot was cast and it ended really good for you. Your inheritance is incredible. To quote the psalmist, the Lord is your chosen portion and cup. He holds your lot. The lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. Indeed, you have a beautiful inheritance. As Christians, to quote an 80s song, the future is so bright you have to wear shades. Your inheritance is so good. Do you even, can you even begin to imagine it? how good your future is. You have obtained an inheritance that no one dared dream of having. And so, this is why Paul says what he says elsewhere. This is in Romans chapter 8. And I know these verses get abused, especially to grieving people. We can abuse these verses by casting them lightly, but these words are freighted with profound meaning, and the abuse of them should not keep us from enjoying their proper use. So here we have Paul's words in Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, having been predestined in love, in the Beloved, and having experienced the love of God poured in our hearts, we cry out in love back to the Father, Abba. Those who love God, all things work together for good. They must. They cannot but work together for good. Because one will works this universe. One will is determinative. And that is our good Father. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so they may become heirs. If we inherit what He inherits, we must be like Him in order that we might be the, or He might be the firstborn among many 
brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called through the gospel. And those whom he called through the gospel and believed, he also justified. That is, he made right, he reconciled to himself. And those whom he reconciled, justified, them he also glorified. What does that mean? It means they've ta- they will take up their inheritance in full possession. And what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Even Paul seems amazed by this. Can you believe it? Omnipotence itself is for us. What could possibly stand against us? What losses, what pain in this life could ever take away this incredible future? You know, as we live in this world, we tend to live in it in one of two ways. Either management or we live in it as mystery. To live in the world through management is to seek to to live in a world as though it is a chaos of forces. Uh, Whether it's a modern view of the world or the ancient world, whether the universe is personal or impersonal, nevertheless, it is me at war with the world. And I I must strive to manage and conquer those forces to find some bit of good, to get some blood out of this turnip. And I might get something for a moment, but then chaos reensues. And I fight again. And life is one battle after another to just get some joy, to get some moment of peace. How different is the biblical picture? The biblical picture calls us not to management of life, but to mystery. Mystery is a willingness of heart to experience life truly in its joys and in all of its sorrows, in its pain and in its pleasure, in its full reality, and to believe that behind it all works our good and great Father. And so, guys, here's the key. We will find goodness in it. We will find goodness in it, not just in the good things, but in the bad things, in the pain and in the loss. We will find good in it. That is the, that is the faith we are called to. And not just a little bit of goodness, guys. Infinite goodness. Or as my friend Kayla Balderson would put it, a goodness infinity. A goodness infinity. And that's not an exaggeration. No matter how unsettling or brutal the losses we face in this world, God is big enough to be in control, and to bring us to healing, to fullness of life. Not just a taste, fullness of life and joy. Remember that great old hymn, This is my Father's world? Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems often so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle isn't done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. As we read in verse 10, God has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, heaven and earth. 
It will come to pass. It must come to pass. The mission of Christ for us and for the whole world cannot fail because He is the preeminent principle and person in the universe. Christ is the center of history. It's all going toward Him. It's all going toward its reconciliation in Him. So look at what Paul writes in a parallel passage in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything, both in creation and in redemption, He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Gospel centrality, therefore, is Christ centrality, which as the fullness of God, as the very face of God, is God centrality. And right there in the center of the universe, the center of the universe, the center of reality, the center of all things, is Christ in dead center, or I should say in the living center of that center, is us who are in Him. Did you notice all the times Paul uses that phrase, in Christ, in our passage? Look at verse 3 with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Verse 4, even as, he ch- even as He chose us in Him. That's Christ. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. Verse 10, the plan of fullness to unite all things in heaven and earth in Him. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance so that we who already hoped in Christ, verse 12, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel were included. We are in Christ. And guys, because we are in Him, Every good news follows. Every good thing comes. Christ is and must be supremely blessed. He is the beloved of God, the supremely blessed one of the universe. And because we are in Him by faith, we too are blessed. And we must be supremely blessed. You know what one of the great problems with prosperity preachers are? They don't preach enough prosperity. Their prosperity is far too small. The prosperity that is ours in Christ Jesus is infinite and eternal. It is an insult to reduce it to just physical well-being and cash. It's so much better than that. What is ours in Christ? What is ours in Christ? Well, let's look at the blessedness of the believer briefly. One, we were blessed looking all the way back into eternity. We've been blessed from before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in Him. Before there was not only you, before there was anything, you were chosen. 
You were predestined in love. What does that mean? It means that as important as your family of origin is, growing up in your household is very significant. It shapes us. But your story doesn't start there. It started in eternity past in the mind of a God who loves you. So I don't know what your childhood was like. I don't know if it was good or bad. But I want you to know this. Before you were rejected, you were chosen. Before you were overlooked, maybe ridiculed, maybe abused, maybe forgotten or abandoned, you were loved eternally before that. Before the foundation of the world. God set his love on you. On you. And what does that mean for the present moment? It means that you are chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless before Him as we read there in verse 4. And in Christ now, you are holy and blameless. As we read in verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Which ones? All of them. Because the forgiveness, look at this, is according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. He didn't give you a skimpy amount of grace to wash away some of your sins. He lavished. He gave you more grace than your sins could ever need. Our sins run deep, but His grace runs far deeper still. And He has lavished this infinite grace on you. In Christ, the beloved, I and you are perfectly and infinitely and unchangeably loved. In fact, you are loved as the Beloved is loved, because you are in the Beloved. Guys, do you understand what that means? That means you are loved by God precisely how God loves the Son, Jesus. You are His delight. His great pleasure is in you. You have infinite, perfect love upon you. And not only that, you are wholeheartedly and unreservedly embraced because you're forgiven. God doesn't hold you back with, with, with an outstretched arm and says, uh, don't get too close. He has, his arms are wide open to embrace you because you are forgiven in Him. Listen to this. God currently views you not through the lens of your sin, but through the lens of His Son. That's how He sees you. Not through the lens of your sin, but through the lens of His Son. And in confessing our sins, we're confident in our forgiveness. Remember the Heidelberg Catechism that we recited just recently? He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. All of them. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And what is the tyranny of the devil? He uses our guilt. He uses our fear of death, Hebrews says. He uses our shame to tyrannize us, to enslave us. Brothers and sisters, you are free from guilt. You are free from shame. You are free from the fear of death and the beloved. And of course, eternity future. Look again at verses 13 and 14. In Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, that is the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it. This gift of the Holy Spirit is incredibly good. In the Holy Spirit, you have all gifts. All gifts are yours in the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit Himself conveys these gifts. That's why Paul says in verse 3, we were blessed with every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? All the blessings of the Holy Spirit. Every spiritual blessing is the blessing of the Holy Spirit in all of His fullness. And when you were blessed with the Holy Spirit, you were blessed with the gift of Christ Himself because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So to have the Spirit is to have Jesus, all of Him, all of Him, all of His blessings. That's why He says He's blessed us, verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why the heavenly places? I don't live in the heavenly places. No, I don't in my body, but Jesus does. Chapter 1, verse 20 says God raised him, Christ, up to the heavenly places. And in chapter 2, verse 6 says we are seated with him in the heavenly places. How are we seated with him in the heavenly places? Because we are connected to him through the Holy Spirit. So all the blessings of Christ are yours in the Holy Spirit. His inheritance, his joy, his holiness, His righteousness. All these blessings are conveyed to us in the gift of His Holy Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God, you have everything. You have Christ. You have the Father. You have the whole Trinity. You have the kingdom of God itself, the inheritance of Christ, and the full delight of God. Guys, it doesn't get any better than this. And what this means is as we look at all the hard things in our world and we we look to the potential threats that come our way, We know nothing in this life can come to us without passing through the Father's hand. Nothing can come to us in this life without passing through the Father's hand. That we cannot lose these blessings. We can never lose these blessings. The Holy Spirit seals it, He says, for the day of our inheritance, guaranteeing it. So what are we so afraid of? We should be like that righteous woman in Proverbs 31 who looks to the future and smiles. We look to the future and we smile. Because whatever hard things come, we know what glory is coming after it. Now, what I've been saying so far is really for those who are in Christ. For those who have heard the gospel and having heard, believed, and then were included in Christ, and having been included, find themselves all of a sudden part of this great narrative that God's been telling from the beginning of creation before the beginning of creation, all the way to its end. But this gospel is for everyone. It's for all. And so maybe your time is this morning to hear this good news and to be included in Christ. When you look at these blessings, do you see yourself on the inside of this goodness, enjoying it? Or do you see yourself on the outside, looking in? If you're on the outside, I want to invite you to come inside. It's really good in here. The blessings are incredible. And the door's wide open. Have you heard this gospel and believed you are included in Him with all these blessings. Well, finally, the whole point of this whole benediction, this blessing, is doxology. 
Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. He's blessed us. And so verse 3, we bless Him. Same word. Verse 6. To the, all of this predestination and election is, verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He's blessed us or lavished upon us or graced us. Verse 12. So that we who were the first, or better, we who have already hoped in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And verse 14, finally. We have, we have believed this gospel, been included, sealed by the Spirit until the time of our possession of the full inheritance. For what end? Verse 14. To the praise of His glory. All of this is for the praise of the glorious grace of God. This, this is so good, we can't help but rejoice and praise and worship. As C.S. Lewis said, you praise what you love. You go to a great restaurant, what do you do? You praise it to your neighbors and friends, right? We do the same thing with God, but more so, because it's so much better than a restaurant. So what we enjoy, we praise. You cannot, you cannot enjoy this and not praise God. Maybe if we're not praising God, we haven't gotten this yet. We haven't understood what is our inheritance. Because when you get it, you can't help but sing. My life goes on in endless song above earth's lamentations. I hear the real, though far-off hymn that hails a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear its music ringing. It sounds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? While though the tempest loudly roars, I hear the truth that liveth. And though the darkness round me close, songs in the night it giveth. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? We, we can't. And so would you sing with me? Let's begin our praises with prayer. Father, we praise You, Almighty God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the, holy, in the heavenly places through Jesus Christ. Lord, we cannot even begin to imagine the greatness that awaits us, the joy that's already ours that we taste and drink now. Lord, fill our souls with Your goodness and let us sing.